to the Death Scent Project. Today we're reading The Odor of Sanctity When the Dead Smell Divine. Visit deathscent.com to view the accompanying post and find additional resources. Author's note, an earlier version of this article was originally published with the Order of the Good Death. Introduction. We moderns live in a sanitized blur of white smells, but odors, both pleasant and foul, were essential components of life to our predecessors. Olfaction links us to our most primordial fears, as well as our deepest desires. The pre-modern nose marked time with scent, delineated sacred space with incense. The foul and the divine were understood by how they smelt. The link between offensive odors, the body, and immorality is well established in the psyche of dominant Western society because of this olfactory heritage. Miasma, the corrupted air thought to carry the plague, was blamed partly on a community's immorality. Their spiritual actions manifesting as a physical stink believed to induce death. Even today, there are vestiges of miasma theory in the popular imagination, hence the frequency of lemon and lavender in Western cleaning products, two popular plague preservatives. Things are not truly clean unless they smell clean. Our olfactory ability connects us to the animalistic acts of the body, yet almost every religion also employs fragrance to create a sense of spiritual otherworldliness. Our ability to smell is exceedingly mundane and magical at the same time. The body's putrefaction has long been presented as theological evidence of the transient and base nature of the material world. In her book, Scenting Salvation, Susan Ashbrook Harvey recounts the tale of a monk in love with a woman that died. In this anecdote, the monk, quote, cures himself of his desire and grief by digging up the woman's body, soaking his garments in the fluids found in her coffin, and smelling the repugnant item whenever tempted. The moral of the story is clear. Earthly desire leads to nothing but the rot of the grave. While the siren song of a beautiful temptress may use superficial glamour to hide evil intentions, odour will always reveal one's truth. If it stinks, it's earthly and therefore wicked. If it smells nice, it's connected to the abstraction of the spiritual world and is therefore good. Yet, if corrupt smells are a sign of a corrupt nature, what happens when a holy person dies? It's in this Western mind-body dualism that the concept of the odor of sanctity is born. The Odor of Sanctity The odor of sanctity, formerly known as osmogenesia, is a supernaturally pleasant odor coming from the body or wounds, usually after death. It was presented as a physical sign of the spiritual superiority of a person. While gods and supernatural beings are often associated with pleasant aromas, the odor of sanctity is attached explicitly to human bodies and is primarily a Western phenomenon. The concept arose in the early Middle Ages with roots in the early Christian communities of Greece and Egypt. Still, it didn't gain considerable traction as a sign of sainthood in the Catholic Church until the early modern period. It wasn't formally recognized as part of the beatification process until 1758 by Cardinal Lambertini, who would later become Pope Benedict XIV. And it has since been downgraded 
to a favorable sign of holiness. While the odor of sanctity is strongly associated with, and for a time was a sign of incorruptibility, the phenomenon was not limited to officially venerated saints. Both Catholicism and the Eastern Church developed a robust apocryphal pedigree around smelly heretic preachers and saints alike. Modern theologians will say that the odor of sanctity is metaphorical, that it's an ontological state of being. While that may be true now, or for religious scholars of the past, it was indeed taken and preached as a literal odor to the laity. A dead body touched with the odor of sanctity can't just smell okay. It had to possess the mysterious presence of a supernaturally pleasant odor with no earthly origins to the smell. The scent can be brief or persistent, attached to the body, grave, bath water of the dead, or objects the person touched. In the case of St. Padre Pio, his spectral scent of roses and pipe tobacco visited people after his death and was considered a sign of his saintly intercession. All odors of sanctity are described as pleasing, with notes of honey, butter, roses, violets, frankincense, myrrh, pipe tobacco, jasmine, and lilies being the most frequently reported accompaniments. The scent is also always culturally specific and deeply intertwined with symbolism. St. Polycarp, the second century bishop of Smyrna, was martyred by being burned at the stake. In the late medieval telling of his death, his burning body smelt like a brazier of frankincense and myrrh instead of charred flesh. St. Polycarp didn't just smell miraculously like incense. His martyrdom was olfactorily connected to the Holy Temple's incense and the gift of the Magi. In the use of frankincense and myrrh, the writer of St. Polycarp's story connects his death olfactorily to the concept of the blessing of Jesus and sacrifice. St. Therese of Lisieux was one of the most popular fragrant saints. She was reported to smell of lilies, violets, and roses upon her deathbed. Coincidentally, her most often attributed quote is, quote, The splendor of the rose and the whiteness of the lily do not rob the little violet of its scent. If every tiny flower wanted to be a rose, spring would lose its loveliness, end quote. I should also note that violet absolute was synthesized during Teresa's lifetime making a material that was once the most expensive fragrance component in the world affordable for all and the durable fragrance of respectable women. To the Victorian palate, violets represented chastity, modesty, and feminine virtue. Lilies and roses also have a long association with Jesus and Mary. Teresa's odor of sanctity creates an olfactive tableau of Therese the respectable, modest woman, alongside the Virgin Mary and Jesus. Before 1875, however, the scent of violets would not have been readily identifiable to the general population, and no primary sources associate the odor of sanctity with violets before that time. There is also an active association between the odor of sanctity and stigmata, with a supernatural floral odor reported to emanate from the wounds of stigmatics. Stigmatic osmogensia 
is reported as the smell of roses, which is deeply symbolic of the wounds of Christ. Bodily Asceticism and Divine Voluptuousness In the late medieval and early modern periods, ascetic mystics comprised a large population of those afflicted with this post-mortem perfume, particularly female mystics who lived cloistered lives. These women's bodies suffered through harsh asceticism and self-inflicted mortification, yet through the isolation, hardship, poverty, and virginity, these mystics sought to control their bodies and transform them into sacred vessels. It therefore makes sense from their perspective that, if successful, the discarded vessel of these perfected souls should already be touched with a whiff of paradise. The association of the odor of sanctity with cloistered women parallels the profane eroticism of the earthly woman with the chaste eroticism of the sacred woman. In contrast, the worldly woman's body corrupts by its nature and stinks, so the heavenly woman's body remains pure and fragrant. However, the conversation is still about a woman's body. St. Teresa of Avila was another fragrant ascetic mystic. She lived in seclusion, practiced tri-weekly self-flagellation, and didn't wear shoes. The moment she died, her bedside attendant said the room filled with the scent of roses that grew to saturate the building. The convent smelled like it had erupted in bloom and cascades of invisible blossoms poured from the windows. Her grave held the scent of roses for eight months. The sensuality of the story is part of the appeal. St. Teresa would never have done something so showy in life, yet in death, the odor of sanctity makes such earthly sensualism permissible as divine ardor. Just as Bernini captures the divine sensuality of, of Teresa's transliteration in the ecstasy of St. Teresa. Origins of Divine Odor So what was it that all these people were smelling? If we couch the religious explanation, are there any earthly ones? Well, firstly, many of the accounts of the odor were written down centuries after the individual's death and came out of folk traditions, so there is undoubtedly some gilded lilies. For others, the nose, like any other our senses, can be fooled, especially when primed. In a time of sorrow and acute stress, a smell that was imperceptible moments earlier can become overpowering. One could rationalize the sickly sweetness of early decay or illness as divine honey. Of course, the, one, the more one tells a story, the more it turns into a legend and becomes grander. So the whiff of sweetness becomes an eruption of flowers. I think the overlap of female religious ascetics associated with the odor of sanctity and anorexia morbalis, the miraculous lack of appetite, is interesting. Anorexia morbalis was a form of religiously induced anorexia that led women and girls during the late Middle Ages and early modern period to engage in prolonged fasts, not in the name of socially accepted beauty, but religious purity. These women abstained from eating for extended periods or attempted to sustain themselves on communion wafers or stale bread. Some, like Angela of Folino or Catherine of Siena, refused food, but reportedly ate the scabs and drank the pus from the sores of hospital patients. 
while they indeed were exceptions, uh, their religious communities already practiced fasting and food restriction that particularly devout practitioners exploited in pursuits of spiritual perfection. In fact, the medical explanation for the odor of sanctity is that it is a cultural understanding of the process of ketoacetosis. Ketosis is a natural process that occurs when the body runs out of glucose and starts to metabolize fatty acids. As ketosis progresses, it volatilizes acetone, which produces a mildly sweet smell, unrecognizable to most. Should this devolve into the pathological metabolic state of ketoacetosis, customarily brought on by advanced alcohol abuse, starvation, or complications from diabetes, the acetone becomes detectable, even overpowering. Someone engaged in prolonged fasts or dying while in an advanced state of ketoacetosis would have a strong sweet smell. The Culture of Female Asceticism and Osmogenesia In examining the lives of 18 women associated with the odor of sanctity, who lived over a 700-year time span, all 18 practiced some form of food restriction. At the same time, 10 entered into the pathological territory of anorexia morbalis. Seven cases either died due to self-inflicted starvation or illnesses complicated by refusing to eat, supporting the ketoacetosis hypothesis. However, these women had many other similarities. 14 were mystics. 15 practiced ascetic lifestyles. 14 were cloistered or hermits. 12 practiced some form of spiritually induced self-harm as self-mortification or stigmata. This data paints not only a medical profile, but a social one. Seven cases were part of the Carmelite order. Six were decalced. One was the order of Carmel. Two of our later perfume saints were named after St. Teresa of Avila, who founded the decalced order and famously experienced osmogensia. The decalced Carmelites were known for their extreme austerity. Even if ketoacetosis wasn't present at the time of death, it makes sense that women of the same order, leading similar lives and looking to St. Teresa as a role model, would also be associated with the same supernatural phenomenon at the time of their deaths. These women dedicated their lives to transcending their physical forms, and nothing is more corporeal than the haze of human decomposition. These circumstances create both a motivation for reporting the odor of sanctity, as well as a cultural norm for its presence. This is not to say that these nuns were lying about their experiences at the bedsides of their friends and mentors. While hagiographies written hundreds of years after a saint's death are clearly filtered through a folkloric tradition, the later early modern saints have first-hand accounts of their divine odor. These writings are emotional and deeply sincere. I believe that those people did experience something, and they interpreted that phenomenon through the knowledge system and cultural values available to them. Other people, approaching the issue from other systems, would see it differently. It is perhaps the ultimate epitaph for these women to have their corpses associated with the odor of sanctity. After years of striving, 
they were finally given the accolades of perfection and worthiness that they so deeply desired.